Okay, are we on? Oh my gosh, I think we're on. <laughs> um, I see people joining on. We had some technical difficulties here and it wouldn't let us log on. You're in the right place if you've logged on to Crosspoint Fellowship for Easter morning 2020. Uh, Crosspoint Fellowship in Greenville, Texas. I see folks joining on. We're all exhaling from around the table with my family. And I'm gonna just set that there for a minute and let folks get on. Yeah, just check with Tracy or someone to make sure that we are in fact on. Folks are joining on, joining in. That's good. Man, we're sweating bullets there for a minute. You're okay. all good. All right, welcome folks. You are um, good. I'm getting all kind of thumbs up here. We'll give about another minute or so for folks to join on since we had some technical problems there. And then we're going to start the morning uh, hearing from my my little wee congregation, the current <laughs> congregation. So just hang tight just for a moment. Want me to look um, festive, attentive. <laughs> So no okay. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. I wanted to just spend a moment, a uh, few minutes this morning before we got started. Uh, my family's joined me this morning. Um, it was a little bit of a challenge the first couple of weeks, um, going live video stream, preaching from my office by myself. And uh, last Sunday, I invited Daniel to join me and he, um, joined me and it was a tremendous help just having another human being in the room with me where I didn't feel like I was talking to an inanimate object. But we thought, we thought this morning it'd be especially fitting uh, having the family together on Easter morning uh, just kind of wouldn't be right for us to be in separate uh, places um, for the time that we were gonna celebrate uh, Easter morning. So I thought I would begin the morning just by uh, showing you my family around the table here. We're gonna go around the table just briefly and share just one thing that you are uh, either thankful for, uh, mindful of, or hoping for in this particular Easter season. So we'll start with Christy McBride. So as much as I miss you guys and the whole Crosspoint family, I'm thankful for time with this family. Still <laughs> playing. I'm thankful for the ability to um, just grow relationships with family and grow in patience with family as well. <laughs> All right, I am thankful for a forced time of rest. I'm feeling mindful of people who are sick and hurting right now or are having a lot of anxiety, but also the knowledge that our hope is beyond the grave and beyond this world and that we don't have to live in fear. Um, yeah, I think we'll rest and family as well. All right. Thank you, family, for indulging me. You and your family can get situated. Just here for a moment while I get the my uh, computer set up again here. This little makeshift studio takes a moment to get situated. All right. I thought we'd change venues uh, this morning. Uh, Greg Fields pointed out to me that... Uh, he felt like he was struggling a little bit with me preaching from my office chair. And the more and more I started thinking about it, the more and more I started feeling like, you that chair is uh, The more and more I started feeling like I'm, I'm um, uh, it's a hard time to herald uh, from an office lounge chair. So I wanted to herald in a proper um, venue. So hopefully this morning is a fitting place for us to spend these next few minutes. Let's begin with a time of prayer, and then we'll have uh, the reading of our word as we stand together after. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for these few minutes that we have together as a people. We're thankful for technology that we can gather uh, in a sense. We can gather over a shared meal. Lord, we're thankful that this technology and this uh, sort of displaced gathering is a great picture of what the saints are doing over the ages, enjoying Christ and his work and his accomplishment, uh, the price that he paid his session 
right now as he's reigning and ruling, seated at the Father's right hand. We're joining a host of witnesses this morning. And it's a really wonderful thought that we in some way have a chance to do that through technology. Well, we're thankful for that means and a medium. Or two this morning, we want to pray for a local church. We want to pray for John Kay and for Kavanaugh United Methodist Church. Lord, we want to lift up Kavanaugh and just ask you to bless them, Lord, in this season that they, as well as our other churches in our community, would connect to families who are stuck at home right now, who might be thinking and wondering, what can we do with our Easter morning or our Sunday morning? They might think to connect to a local church now in this season when they wouldn't have in the past. Lord, pray that we would, uh, that you would use this season to grow Kavanaugh Methodist Church and that they would be blessed, that they would flourish. Pray that you would give John uh, a wonderful word for his people this morning. If he's preaching through the virtual uh, medium, Lord, that you would, you would give him a, a connectedness even through the internet uh, in a way that's miraculous. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would bind that people into one as I pray that he's binding us into one this morning. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for a people group, the Jat people of India, 19 million people, uh, most of which are Hindu, 0.03% of which are Christian. Lord, we pray for this people that are characterized as brave and hardworking. Lord, we pray for water resources, for healthy, um, clean water for them to drink. We pray for some health care for them. Lord, we pray for Christian workers to go to this far corner and to bring the good news of Christ crucified and risen. Lord, we pray that you would make folks so uncomfortable here that they couldn't help but go and take the seed of the kingdom to the far corners to the Jap people. Lord, we lift them up this morning. We're thankful that we have the chance to bring them before you. Lord, also we want to pray for those who are sick and struggling this morning, Lord, for those who may be fighting the virus, fighting for their lives. Lord, we are lifting this up, them up this morning, asking you to sustain people, to heal people, to eradicate this virus, to give us a cure, to give us a treatment, to give us a prevention. We pray that you would set a people free from this uh, unseen enemy. We pray for those who are making key decisions right now about when and how we reconnect as communities and as country and world. We pray that you would give folks wisdom in how to go about that. For folks that are struggling and fighting for their lives, we pray that uh, you would be uh, front and center right now. This would be a window and a season uh, for folks to come to know you where they wouldn't have otherwise. Lord, we pray for folks that are even connected to our, our body right now who know of or have family members who have this virus. Lord, we lift them up this morning. Pray that you would heal their bodies, that you would sustain them, and that you would draw their families to you. Lord, for those who are vulnerable, right now to sickness uh, who have a weakened immune system Lord, we put them in front of you as well we pray that you would watch over them and watch over their health lord keep them whole lord pray too that you would just uh, give us a voice in this season a voice of hope that as a people that we would not move in fear we would walk in and trust and know that we are secure in christ for eternity whatever may happen to this body Lord, we pray, too, that we can be good stewards with this season, faithful witnesses, trusting you and enjoying you out loud. Lord, we're praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, you can stand and join me for the reading of God's word this morning from Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And they said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. 
There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us through this passage. Lord, speak. Open our eyes to the greatness of this story, the greatness of this work. Lord, draw us into deeper fellowship and relationship with the living Lord. We're praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seen. If you've joined in since uh, we began, let me welcome you to Cross Point Fellowship. This is our virtual Easter morning. We are celebrating an empty tomb and really good news this morning from Mark chapter 16. Um, we would, the, the plan for the morning is to share a passage from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, and then uh, we'll have our supper together. So, if you uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, if you're a believer, I invite you to prepare some bread and jewelry bread. So some bread and juice. My family's here with me in case you're, I'm not talking to an empty room. My family has joined me this morning, so uh, we're going to have a supper together. So if you are going to, to have a supper after our uh, sermon, I encourage you to go ahead and have that ready uh, to take the supper in a few moments. But we're in Mark chapter 16. I just shared our passage, verses 1 through 8. Each Sunday for the last seven Sundays, we've been uh, extinguishing a candle from this little collection of seven candles. And uh, on Good Friday at 3 p.m. at our Good Friday service, we extinguished the last candle. So this morning, we have the opportunity to light all these candles and light every other candle in the world that we can find. Turn on every light in the world because the light of the world left the tomb especially vacant and lives and reigns and rules today. So uh, it's a fitting um, celebration for us, and I hope you'll enjoy seeing these uh, candles flicker as we climb into this passage. Let me share with you a little bit about Mark chapter 16 before we really get into the meat of the passage. Um, first of all, uh, Mark chapter 16, I believe, ends at verse 8. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, if your Bible's like mine, it looks like it goes all the way to verse 20. But if your Bible was like mine, you probably have a note in there. You probably have a comment that some, or mine says specifically right after verse 8, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verse 9 through 20. Now let me share with you why I think that's important. I think that Mark ended the book right there. I think, um, first of all, if we get alarmed that we're somehow taking away from what's the, at the end of Mark chapter 16, what is represented in verses 9 through 20 is in the other Gospels. Okay, so we're not sharing something at the end of this book that's somehow unbiblical or uh, not authoritative. It is very much authoritative. But I believe Mark ended his gospel that he wrote at the end of verse 8. The earliest manuscripts, when you're considering the reliability of an ancient uh, scripture, the earliest manuscripts are the most reliable to the original Writing. We don't have the original manuscript that Mark wrote, but the earlier ones suggested he ended right here at verse 8. So we're going to treat it that way this morning. And you understand why that's far more than some academic venture. I think Mark ended the Gospel of Mark at verse 8 for good reason, and we'll consider that in just a moment. The characters in the story in these, in these eight verses are Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, a young man in a white robe that's going to be central to the story. In fact, he might be the lead character in the story. And then the disciples who are mentioned but noticeably absent. Just consider that. Noticeably absent. And then lastly, Jesus, of course, who is wonderfully absent. So what I'd like to do is sort of climb into these eight verses, maybe a verse a verse or two at a time and share some thoughts and then share two things that I think Mark brings out of this ending to this gospel, beginning in verse one. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might so that they might go and anoint him. Now Mark gives us a little time stamp here. I think the time stamp is important, at least in a devotional sense that the uh, Sabbath has passed with nothing on record in the way of human activity. Okay, just consider that. Christ died on the cross on Friday. The Sabbath passes and there are no 
details about what all these people that followed Christ did on that Sabbath day in any of the Gospels. No record in the way of human activity. He's crucified on Friday and buried before sunset that evening. He's buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. You can read the, uh, the details there of how that unfolded at the end of chapter 15. And the next day, the whole day passes with no human activity. I think that's more than coincidence. There's no human activity until Saturday evening. See, the days ended at sunset. So the Sabbath would have officially ended on a Saturday evening. And after the Sabbath was over, on Saturday evening, at some point, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome rush out to purchase perfumes to anoint the body of Jesus the next morning. They've got a plan. And what um, unfolds, and what we've read this morning, is when that plan is actually being executed. But they bought the perfume the night before. Now let me take a moment just to kind of introduce you to these three ladies. Mary Magdalene was mentioned 12 times in the Gospels. She's mentioned more times than most of the disciples. She is a prominent follower of Christ. In one mention, there's a, a reference to, the, to the, thought, the realization that Jesus cast out seven demons out of her at some point. We don't know how that unfolded, but he cast out seven demons from her. She's probably from a little town, a little village called Magdala on the Sea of Galilee, which is why she's called Mary Magdalene. That's the way she's identified. Now, Mary, the mother of James, is the mother of James the Less or James the Lesser. Now, let me kind of explain to you who that is. There are two James that are in the disciples. There's James and John, the sons of Zebedee. I would call that James Alpha. Call this James, James Bravo, or James the Less, or Lesser. And this is his mom, Mary, the mother of James. And then the last woman here mentioned is Solomon. Salome is the mother of James and John. James Alpha and John, and the wife of Zebedee. So Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome go out to anoint his body the next morning. They buy perfume, and they want to go anoint his body. Now, that's not the same thing as embalming. The Egyptians embalmed. Uh, that was not a practice for ancient Israel. They were going to just anoint his dead body with perfume. Now consider this. It was too late for this to happen on Friday evening. He was buried in a rush. Okay, he died that afternoon. We've got to find a place to place his body before the Sabbath begins and no one can work. Joseph of Arimathea offers up his tomb. There wasn't time to anoint his body with perfume at that point. So there's two nights that passed and a whole day in between. And this plan that they have to anoint his body reveals a deep, deep love and affection for Jesus by these ladies. And considering this to the condition of his body and conditioning the time that would have passed before they were to anoint his body with perfume, just consider this would have been a gruesome, gruesome task. This, these ladies apparently really loved the Lord. This was an act of love toward him. Continuing on in verse 2 and 3. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So they purchased the perfumes the priory. Man, they're planning. They probably planned what time they're going to link up or meet up the next morning unless they all stay in the same place. They have some planning. They hustle out the next morning with no plan of what they're going to do with this big old fat rock. It's almost comical if you really think about it. We're talking about a substantial rock. Too. We're talking about something that was probably a milled stone that had grooves in it that would roll into place and once it's into place would have been quite secure. In fact, it would have been of great importance to the Jews and the Romans that there was no chance that his body could be stolen. The Jews especially. This would have been a substantial stone. And they say, well, what are we going to do about this big old rock? It's kind of cute, but it's also revealing. It's revealing that these women, along with the other disciples, of everyone that followed him, of everyone that heard his prophecies about what was going to happen to him, no one believed his prophecy of rising from the dead. No one believed it. They're going to do a terminal work on him. This is going to be their terminal and last visit. They're going to anoint his dead body with perfume. 
Man, just consider that for a moment. None of them were expecting his death or his resurrection. Turn back a few pages to Mark chapter 8. Since we're in Mark, let's just look at this and consider this just for a moment. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. This is the first time that he foretells his death and resurrection in the book of Mark. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again or on the third day rise again. Man, there it is in black and white. It's in black in my Bible. It's recounted of what he shared and what he taught. He's preparing them to expect not only his cross, but his resurrection. Look across the, across the page in chapter 9, verse 31. He's teaching his disciples, saying, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. I don't know how he could be any more specific. Look at Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 33. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Man, this is incredible detail before it all unfolded. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And they're still not expecting it. That's three times. Let's consider the, the Lord's Supper itself on the night of the Lord's Supper in Mark chapter 14, looking at verse 27 and 28. He's already instituted the Lord's Supper. You can see the heading up above verse 22. He's broken the bread. He's shared the cup. And then in verse 27, it says, you will all fall away for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. That's a wonderful promise we'll come back to at the end of the morning. Man, just consider these, these prophecies that he shared with them, and yet they're still not expecting it. I, I can't help but, but think about this, this thought. First um, Corinthians came to mind. First Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to turn there, you can. I've already got it already handy. But just consider this. For, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. These folks walked with him for three years, most of them. They heard his every teaching. They spent every waking moment with him, unless he's off in prayer with his father. They heard all of his teaching. They heard all of these prophecies. They had all his heads up, and still they missed it. It should add a note of humility to us, a teachable Humility that none of us have it all figured out. That when this thing comes full circle, when it, the end of the age uh, comes full circle, there will be some things that we go, man, I can't believe I missed this. This should compel us to keep digging and keep teaching and receiving in humility. Lord, show us. We see that we see things dimly right now. We know in part. We want to know fully. We don't want to miss anything. Let's continue on in verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, moving back to the tomb. Looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, just a reminder. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. All right, let's just consider this for a moment. They show up to a tomb outside the walls of Jerusalem, okay, right around sunrise to a tomb they expect to be sealed and closed and probably guarded. And not only is the stone rolled away, but it's got an occupant. It says a young man in a white robe at sunrise in a tomb outside the walls of Jerusalem. That alone would be alarming. Where in the world did you come from? Who in the world are you? And what in the world are you up to? Given the response of the ladies of what unfolds in verse 8, there's the thought that this was no man. This was no mere young man. He's noted as wearing white in a dark tomb. So the brilliance of heavenly clothing is the only thing that would explain their identification of the color of his robe. Who we're talking about here, what we're talking about here is an angel with a very important message. I think it's especially fitting that we've got an angel giving an important message at his resurrection since the 
The sky is filled with angels with the announcement of his birth. It's fitting that an angel shows up at this moment. And he says to them, here's his important message. Do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. All right, this angel addresses their fear and their hope right off the bat. He addresses their fear by saying, don't be afraid. That's what the angels always have to tell whoever they reveal themselves to because it scares them to death. Don't be afraid. And then he says, you're looking for Jesus. He speaks to their hope, albeit a terminal hope, because they're just expecting to see the dead body of Jesus when they visit. What they're expecting, though, to be a terminal visit is actually the beginning of something altogether new and altogether, surprisingly, unexpected. The angel says, the crucified one, the one that you saw nailed to a cross evening before last, the one who bled and cried out, who cried out his last, Father, why have you forsaken me? That one who gave up his spirit on the cross has been raised. That one has been raised. Make no mistake. This isn't an imposter. This isn't a replacement. This is the very one that was nailed to that cross. The very one crucified is the very one risen. That's what Christians believe. That's our message. That's what we hold on to. You're seeking a dead one. You're not going to find him. But you will find in Galilee a living one. One of the things that I enjoy that they're bringing out here, that this, this young man in white, this angel brings out to them, is he's not directing them to an idea. This is something I've been considering over the last couple of years, is how often we may gather as a church, we may center the teaching of the word, how often I might even preach as presenting ideas. Sharing ideas that you either buy into or you don't. I'm not presenting an idea to you any more than that angel preached from that tomb an idea. He's preaching a living being. That's the content of the good news, not the resurrection itself. Okay, he's, as these ladies are coming to this tomb hopeless, uh, in, in sorrow, in mourning, confused, sad, maybe they've lost their purpose. In some ways, he's saying, I can't fix your problems. I care about your problems, but I can't fix your problems. But I can direct you to the living Jesus. That will reframe your problems. That will change everything for you. And that's our message week in, week out. We don't present ideas. We don't love and embrace ideas. We present a living Lord. And we embrace a living Lord who doesn't necessarily take away our problems, but is the one that reframes all of them. He says, that one that was crucified, he has been raised. And he invites them to inspect. Take a look. He's not in here. See how empty it is? And he's directed them to encounter the risen Lord. That's who I'm calling you to this morning. That's the content of this message and hopefully every message. A living being. And this being promised them. We read the passage just a moment ago with the Lord's Supper. He promised to meet them in Galilee after he predicted his resurrection. He said, I'm going to meet you in Galilee, chapter 14, verse 28. Now, I don't know anything about angel emotions. I'm a, I don't know that we don't have any window into what angels felt or we don't see an angel being sad or happy necessarily. We can see some things that they do. We can see a, a you know the, the sky full of angels. Uh, over uh, you know, a field outside of Bethlehem, singing harp, you know, harp the herald angels singing. We can imagine they were singing zeal. Okay, we can see uh, and imagine the cherubim and seraphim that never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that they're not wholehearted in what they're doing, that they're excited. I'm thinking about the elders that heartily cast their crowns before the Lord. And I'm thinking, we don't really know exactly how angels feel, but I can't but imagine this young man was giddy with excitement to share this news, this young angel, to share this news with these people. There's a passage in 1 Peter. Listen to this passage in 1 Peter 
uh, verses 11 and 12, this passage is talking about uh, what the prophets didn't know, but what they were looking forward to. And in verse 12, actually, it says it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, Peter is taking the ancient believer to the notion that prophets were looking forward to what was actually going to be unfold fully for us. And that of all that, angels are jealous what we get to walk in. Angels are jealous to see and enjoy and experience what we're experiencing. The, the risen Lord that we're having a chance to walk with in faith. I can't but imagine this young man wasn't dancing around that tomb. I, I don't know how big the tomb would have, would have been. Probably pretty small, but I can't imagine he wasn't getting it. Looking at his watch. Are they almost here? Is it almost sunrise? I can't wait to tell him. He is risen. He's not here. See, look. There's nothing in here. And I can't imagine that he was not excited. I bet he was rehearsing. He's risen. He's not here. See, take a look. Pretty exciting to think about. Now, Mark ends the gospel with verse 8. Verse 8, let's read it. And they went out and fled from the tomb, they being Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. He shares six negative responses to this really good news. Okay, get this. Six negative responses to this good news. And I believe in the very last verse of this gospel of Mark, they went out, they fled, now, first of all, it seems like they would have asked for some clarifying questions there. First of all, who are you and what are you talking about? Where did you even come from? It says they were seized with trembling and astonishment. They weren't seized to the point of being still. They actually fled for their lives, at least ran away. And they said nothing to anyone. That's probably the most shocking thing of the whole story here. They said nothing to anyone. And then he ends with this realization, the sixth thing. They were afraid. These women who followed him for many years, three years at this point, likely, were afraid. And it leaves you kind of unsatisfied. You're reading the book of Mark and it helps me kind of understand why maybe the early church said, hey, let's take what Matthew said over here and take a version of that and tack that on the end of Mark's gospel because Mark leaves his gospel kind of unsatisfying. Why in the world are they leaving Afraid. And you can imagine the ancient people talking. Hey, have you read Mark's gospel? Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I like it. It's kind of short, you know, shorter than the other ones. So it's kind of concise. Um, I like what he does with the disciples. I like what he does with Jesus. But man, I hate that ending. That ending's so unsatisfying. I can't but imagine that the early church said, we've got to put something else on the end of this thing. Because it ends with these words, for they were afraid. Now, I think Mark has an ancient message for modern worshipers, not only in the content of those eight verses and the ones before, but in the way the book ends. So I just want to share these two thoughts with you. First of all, the gospel is preposterous, and I'm going to explain that word in a moment. And secondly, the gospel is durable. I can't herald sitting on my backside. The gospel is preposterous, first of all. Now, look back in chapter 15. I'm going to introduce to you another of Mark's sandwiches. If you've been with us on this Lent journey, you know that I've shared one of Mark's sandwiches where the fig tree is mentioned on both sides of the clearing of the temple. Uh, Greg shared a sandwich in his sermon where he's preaching on the anointing of Christ at Bethany, where these, the plan for his death on either, either side of that. Mark has, I've found 12 of these sandwiches. And I can send those out to you later this week. Twelve of these sandwiches where the outside, the bread, either makes sense of the meat or the meat makes sense of the bread. It's something that he uses in his uh, in a literary uh, sense of, as a tool to make a point of something. And I'll show, show you a sandwich that's right here at the end of Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 40. This is at the end of his cross, his crucifixion. 
He's breathed his last, as the verse it says right in front of him. Verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Solomon. Okay, the same three women. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came with him to Jerusalem. Okay, just take women and specifically, especially those three in this first piece of bread. And then the meat to the sandwich is verses 42 through 46. The burial and implied resurrection. Okay, that's the meat. And here's the other piece of bread beginning in verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. That's the other piece of bread. So just so you sort of have this sorted, verses 40 and 41 are the first piece of bread. The meat is verses 42 through 46. And then the other piece of bread is verses 47 of chapter 15 through chapter 16, verse 1. The first piece of bread are witnesses to the crucifixion who are women, by the way. You look around, there's no men to be found, no disciples to be found, just women. That's only ones that we have see or that we can see right here. They're witnessing his, his cross and then eventually his burial. And then the meat, you have the burial and implied resurrection. And then the other bread is the Sunday visit to the tomb. Also women and also no men to be found anywhere. Men are sulking or hiding or doing whatever they're doing. But here we have women on either side of this burial and resurrection. So what does this sandwich tell us about the resurrection? Or what does it tell us about women? Man, this is cool. This is really cool. I love this. I think it tells us something about both. First of all, let me just introduce you to this thought. Women were witnesses to the cross. I just shared that. They're witnesses to the burial. I just shared that. And they're witnesses to the empty tomb. Women. That is preposterous. That's the word I chose because I think this word, let me kind of tell you what this word means. It might be helpful if you understand what this word means. It means it's so unreasonable as to invite derision. That's absurd. These are synonyms. Uh, that's cockeyed. That's idiotic. That's laughable. That's ludicrous. That's nonsensical. That's ridiculous. That women are the witnesses to the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. Man, what in the world is Mark doing here? What in the world is God doing here? Women witnesses would have been preposterous unless God placed them in this story as those witnesses. It's hard to imagine the early church would have because it would have taken away from the credibility of the whole thing. It must have been an embarrassment for the early church. See, Judaism didn't accept the testimony of a woman. It wasn't even considered reliable. That's maybe hard for us to imagine now 2,000 years later, but in their culture, in their context, it was inadmissible. It must have been an embarrassment for the early church that ladies have such a prominent place in the story of the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. And I wonder if some of the early believers weren't thinking to themselves, I wish Mark would have left that part out. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get past that as I'm trying to share this story with someone else, but they're women witnesses. I wish there were some upstanding men, some good citizens, maybe some prominent people that could, could have witnessed all those things to recount this. It seems like that would advance the gospel much more effectively if only there were reliable, upstanding witnesses. Now, can't you imagine that somebody would be thinking that then? But here's the beauty. The presence of Mary and Mary and Salome lends serious credibility now 2,000 years later to the account of it, first of all, to the factuality of it. But even better, here's what's even better. The important and frequently noted presence of Mary Magdalene all over the Gospels and here with Mary, the mother of James and Salome, Tell us that the value of the least of these in God's kingdom is the centerpiece and the prize of the gospel. 
the value of the least of these in God's kingdom. Their testimony and their presence in the story is completely in character with the divine economy of the first being last and the last being first. First Corinthians, Paul writes of this very thing. In chapter one, he says, for consider your calling brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. That's the divine economy. And it fits wonderfully with tax collectors and fishermen and big old fat sinners that he loved on, that he sat with, that he enjoyed, that he spent time with, that he broke bread with. It fits with this wonderful economy of the gospel. In the words of Daniel Donaldson, yes. <laughs> right? Y-A-S. Yes. Man, I love this. Resurrection is good news, great news even, for big fat sinners and the least of these for 2,000 years since. I'm glad the gospel is preposterous. I'm glad that he seeks out the sick and the sinful and the lame and the left out and the frail and the feeble and the least and the last of these. Man, it gives me hope. Gives me hope when I see myself in that list. It gives me hope when I herald that to others that I see embedded right there in that list as well. That's really good news. And secondly, the gospel is durable. The gospel is durable. The promise, man, this is a dream. The promise that Jesus made to meet them in Galilee was almost as good a news as he is risen. The promise that he made over the supper, the promise that the young man in white heralds here from this tomb is almost as good a news as he is risen because it's proof that the gospel is durable. It is durable. They couldn't foul it up. Here's the beauty. They couldn't foul it up. They couldn't desert him so badly that he wouldn't go meet them in Galilee. Because see, they deserted him. They denied him. They were currently in hiding. Again, you notice that they're noticeably absent from the cross, his disciples, the ones he's called. They're noticeably absent from the burial. They're noticeably absent from this visit to the tomb. And the ones who did visit were too scared to tell anybody. Man, and yet he's going before them to Galilee. I'll meet you in Galilee. He makes me want to say, you still want to meet us? You mean you still want to meet us? We didn't foul that up. We didn't ruin that. You still want to link up? Man, that is wonderful news. I love that Mark is such an honest broker with the gospel and the greatness and the grace of Christ. And just how badly even the most devoted need that grace often. Man. Now, I don't know why Mark ended the gospel this way in verse 8. But I believe this is why it is a terribly unsatisfying ending, at least in a human sense. Jesus is victorious. The disciples are hiding. And even the faithful women said nothing to anyone and they're scared to death. But yet Christ will draw and build his church despite our failures. That's good news. And I hope that's good news for every single person listening this morning. If this word of grace given to frightened women for hiding men uh, including the traitor like Peter, who I think is identified specifically for that very reason, then we can be assured that he's got good news for those of us who have failed Christ. This Good Friday service that we had just a couple days ago, 
uh, surprise, surprise, I got choked up reading it. But the reason I got choked up reading it, because that very day, I contributed the way to that cross. That very morning in how I moved in my home with my wife, just being crump, being short. And I was thinking of that very weight being added to that cross 2,000 years ago. And yet he says, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Mark's abrupt ending, I think, puts in stark contrast the one true hero of the story. This is about Jesus, period. He is the hero. He is our good news. He is our treasure. He's the object of our faith and the desire of our heart and our portion forever. He is our message. Let's pray. Well, we're thankful for this wonderful window into this story, this empty tomb, and this reality of a living Lord. Well, we're thankful that, uh, I'm thankful that Mark is so honest with the human problem. Uh, even those that are the most devoted fail our Lord, and yet he promises to meet us. I'm thankful for that kind of Lord. I'm thankful that we are walking in and enjoying preposterous good news. Lord, I pray that folks that hear this today will be blown away at the greatness of this Jesus and that they will seek him in Galilee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a final charge before we take our supper. There's a final charge in the gospel that was first preached from an empty tomb uh, that by a young man in a white robe, by the way, it was first preached in his fullness because the Lord at that point is risen from an empty tomb. He says, you see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He was risen. He's not here. See, he's not in here. It's empty. But his announcement of the resurrection is not an in and of itself, but it's a basis for action because he tells them in that first sermon on the risen Lord, he says, go and tell. Go and tell the disciples in this circumstance, but those verbs are real fitting right now. Go and tell. I want you to consider this morning before we take this up that the Lord has drawn you to this greatness, this glory, this wonder, and this living, living person called Christ so that then you can go and tell others about our Lord. Now, we're going to take our supper. So I want to give you a moment to go ahead and gather the elements. Um, Daniel, would you distribute the elements for us? <laughs> share a thought with you as we uh, get our elements distributed here. So I'll give you a minute there. Yes. Consider this as you're preparing to take the supper this morning. We've considered this this morning. Jesus is the content of the good news. The resurrection in and of itself is not going to save anybody. The resurrection in and of itself, the cross in and of itself saves no one. The resurrection did not transform these fearful women into bold witnesses. The resurrection just really just scared them to death. Faithful discipleship consists of following the living Christ. That's where the angels sent them, to the living Christ in Galilee. He wasn't presenting them some deep theological thought that they could embrace and be transformed. He was presenting to them the person of Christ. Go to Galilee. So my charge to you this morning as we prepare to take the supper is go to Galilee. Go into Monday. Go into the summer and the fall of 2020, whatever it might look like for us, seeking the living Christ. Man, he didn't say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. He didn't say, come to the empty tomb, all who are weary and heavy laden and find rest. He said, come to me. Come to me. And he lives and he reigns and he rules.
disciples. And every supper, like this supper that we read about this morning, is coupled with a promise that I'm going to meet you in the meal. I'm going to meet you in the meal, and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Let's enjoy this as we take and eat together in faith. Let's take and eat. So a noisy bread choice. But it works, and it's kind of dry. <laughs> Let's enjoy the cup, taking in faith, taking drink. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Let me share a couple of brief announcements before you log off. If you know of a need in our community, if you know of a need that's not being met by family or friends or church, any need that we can come alongside, and, and help tend to folks, help bless folks, please communicate that to us. Uh, you can send an email to office at crosspointfellowship.us or ben at crosspointfellowship.us or elders at crosspointfellowship.us. Those are three places that are easy to remember. Ben at crosspointfellowship.us, office at crosspointfellowship.us, or elders at crosspointfellowship.us. If you know of a need, please put that in front of us. If you know of uh, any 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 concern that we can be praying about as a people, please put that in front of us. We as people want to be very attentive to uh, being the salty, bright, aromatic people of God, even while we're displaced, uh, taking shelter behind homes during these next few weeks. But also, if you would like to be included in our weekly email uh, traffic, which is not a lot, really we're trying to limit it to just a couple of maybe two or three emails per week uh, that are linking you to resources so that you can worship together as families. You can email any of those three email addresses I just gave you. The office at Crosspoint Fellowship would probably be the, the, the best direction to go to get connected to that email um, stream, the, the point is what we call it, so that you can get that information. I also want to give you a heads up of as, uh, as a local community of churches, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week, we're going to be part of a prayer vigil praying for our community and country and world. So I want you to watch your inbox for how you can sign up for a 20-minute window uh, during a 72-hour period that the people of God in Greenville and the surrounding area will be praying for our community and our country and our world. I'm going to end our morning with a benediction from Romans chapter 8. My people can stand and join me. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Let's receive this good news from the Lord together. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful day. God bless y'all.